special blessing to us. And um, if we want, what we're doing is we're starting to grow our children's department. We're realizing we used to have uh, two people down there. It's mandated that we have at least two adults present with the kids at all times. Um, and we, that worked with us for the first 10 months was great. Now it ain't working so good. We've got to have three or four people down there with our kids just because God has blessed us with, large, with a lot of kids. So if you would be so inclined to hang out and play with our kids for a bit on a Sunday morning once a month, please, 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 please come and see me. Go and see Jerry. Uh, go and see uh, Sarah. Yes, I know a couple of you already have, which is good. Thank you for doing that. But if you haven't and God is putting that on your heart, please, please, we could use you. Um, I know a children's ministry is one of those things that we're always asking for volunteers for, but that's because God blesses us with the kids. I don't think that's a bad thing. So come out and, uh, and, and do that to support our kids, but we, we praise God for them. Um, today, I want to pray first, and then we're going to kind of get into the Word. We have some things to talk about and, and also some important things to discuss. So let's, um, let's just open up in prayer. Lord, I just pray uh, that you'd be here with us this morning. I pray... God, especially that your word would go out of this place, God, and that as we explore your word that you've given us, you've given your church this beautiful gift of your word, and uh, God, I pray that as we explore it together, that you would make yourself known to us, and that you would open our eyes to see the uh, incredible things that you have for us here. I also pray for my voice that you would sustain it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Amen. All right, so let's, let's dive in here. We're going to be looking at Acts 2. If you have a Bible, uh, open your Bible up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 44 through 47. There's only four verses there, but we're going to spend some time walking through them. And what we're going to do is paint a portrait of what the early church looked like. In fact, John Calvin, if, you, if you're interested in, in history or theology, he was a, he was a big theologian during the Reformation, which happened a long time ago. Talk to him about it later. But uh, he called these verses a living portrait. A living portrait of the early church. These four verses here. So we're going to take some time to look at this living portrait. We began this series through Christ. We began it uh, two weeks ago with Elisha. And we talked about what it means to in, uh, allow a perspective that's foreign to us to open our eyes to what God is doing around us. Uh, and then last week we talked in Romans about Paul and how if we want to live life through Christ, we need to allow the old life to pass. We need to allow our old life to go in order to claim and, and move forward into the new life that God has for us in Christ. And today we're going to be looking at this early church. And as someone who has taken a lot of time to study the early church, um, there's a couple of hesitations I have about talking about it, because I want to throw these things out to you just to inform you. This is like as an aside. At times, we think of the early church as somehow the best church, the most legitimate church. And the assumption sometimes is that it was legitimate then, and then something happened over time, um, or some kind of corrupting influence got into the church, and it, the church's legitimacy has declined since then. And, and it's funny because whenever you talk to people about that, inevitably, they always say, it declined until the movement I'm a part of resurrected that original legitimate church, right? Like, this is the Mormon, uh, the argument from the Mormon church. 
that it was in decline until Joseph Smith reinvigorated it. Or this is the same argument that the Jehovah Witnesses have, um, that the, somehow the church became illegitimate over time, but now we have returned to the original you know, legitimate church. This is even an argument that Pentecostals have, right? From somewhere in the third century until 1906 in Azusa Street, the church was somehow illegitimate, but now we have returned to this legitimate church because we exercise the gifts of the Spirit openly. And I want to just say as a historian, as a theologian, as a pastor, that's not right. So just take that to the aside and just leave it to the aside. And if you want to know why I think very strongly that that's not the correct view, please come Wednesday and we will talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it now, but I'm just going to let you know. I hesitate sometimes to talk about the early church because sometimes in our minds it flips the switch of that's the legitimate church and somehow other churches are not as legitimate and it's just not true. Okay? That's an aside. But I needed to say that to set you up for what we're going to be talking about today. I do think, though, that what the early church really understood well was how to live their life through Christ. I really think that they got this really well. And these verses that we're talking about really exemplify, really demonstrate for us what it means to live life through Christ as a body, as a community, as a church. So let's look at this together. So we're going to start with verse 44. I'm going to put that up there. It says, all who believed, right? So that would be all the Christians. So all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. The church had all things in common. Now the next verse, in verse 45, which we're not going to talk about yet, it talks about how that having things in common primarily referred to property, that the church was sharing their property in common, and that if there was somebody who needed something financially, that the group would provide for that need. Um, but I, I don't want to focus so much right now. We're going to be focusing a little bit later on what that means to hold property in common. But right now, I just want to focus on the idea of holding things in common with other people. To have something in common with somebody else means that you share it with them. It's not yours. It's not theirs. You share it with them. It means what is previously belonging only to them now belongs to both of you. And what is previously belonging only to you belongs to both of you. And it goes beyond property. When you hold something in common with somebody, if they're hungry, you feel their hunger. You feel moved to provide for their hunger. If they are rejoicing and they're happy and they're in a good place in life, you share in that with them you get to experience the happiness and joy that they share as well. When they are sick and tired, you feel the burden of that. When they experience freedom, you get to share their joy. And and the most common illustration, of course, is marriage, right? Marriage is really easy because when you're living with somebody for an extended period of time, everything is in common. When your spouse is depressed, it affects you deeply. When your spouse is rejoicing, it affects you deeply. But we miss out on that common space with other people. The people who we're living with, it's quite easy to share things in common with them. But other people, what about this community? What about your neighbors? What about, what about all the people seated here today? It's harder to share things in common. Johnny, I want your question on Wednesday night. I want you to be there Wednesday night to ask me whatever question you have. Okay, buddy? Write it down. Bring it on Wednesday. Bring it on Wednesday. Bring it on Wednesday. 
Thank you, Johnny. The church held all things in common, it says. It's a holding of space together. It's not me, it's not you, it's us together. If we want to experience peace in our world, real, actual, long-lasting peace, if we want that for our communities, for our world, for our lives, we have to learn how to hold things in common with other people. I want to go out on a limb here and say that there is going to be ne- there's never going to be peace between Israel and Palestine until the Israelis learn to hold in common the concerns of the Palestinians and until the Palestinians learn to hold in common the things of the Israelis. But they don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because they, the assumption is if I hold out long enough, if I hold out long enough, then eventually I'll be able to take all the ground. I won't have to compromise and I won't have to deal with their, com- with, with their concerns. If I hold out long enough, I'll be able to win and I can just take everything and then I won't have to worry about them. Right? There's no intentional holding of commonness. The common concern is not there. If Democrats and Republicans, uh-oh. If Democrats and Republicans want to honestly have peace with one another, Democrats are going to have to learn how to hold in common the concerns of Republicans, and Republicans are going to have to learn how to hold in common the concerns of Democrats. That is not easy to say. But the reality is that every four years, one party says, if I can hold out long enough until we're back in power, then I can take all of the ground, and I won't have to worry about the concerns of that other group of people. If I could just hold out long enough, I won't have to bother with them at all because once I'm in power, I can have everything that I want and they won't get anything at all. We do not have peace in our world today because we do not want peace. We do not want to hold ground in common with those who oppose us and with those whom we oppose. In John 14, 27, Jesus is kind of wrapping up his time with his disciples. He's in the upper room. He's just about to be crucified. He's sitting there. He's sharing a meal with them, and he says this. He says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Christ is the prince of peace, because Christ holds all people in common with himself. And if we want to know what it means to be in Christ and to live through Christ, it's going to require that we also hold things in common with one another. But we won't have it. We would rather not. We would rather not hold things in common with the Congregationalists and the Episcopalians. We wouldn't, we don't want to do it because we would believe somehow, some way, that if we could just hold out long enough, we'll be able to take all the ground and we won't have to deal with their concerns. Hello, am I saying anything this morning? Touching any, is there any buttons I'm pushing? (laughs) Probably. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm going to put his picture up. Go ahead and put his picture up there. We talked a little about Bonhoeffer. I was was putting the picture up there and Michelle... Uh, I said, Michelle, do you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? And she goes, was he a theologian? And I said, well, yes, he was. Did you know that? And she said, no, I just know you. So, (laughs) 
She's, get, she's got me. Yes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a theologian. He was a pastor and a theologian, and uh, he was there uh, in Germany during the rise of Nazism in that country. And on the 5th of April, 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested for running an illegal seminary in Germany, which was not sanctioned by the Nazi government. He was arrested for that. And also he was arrested because he uh, had aided Jews in escaping the country and making it into Switzerland. So he was arrested for those charges. He was imprisoned. He was eventually moved to a concentration camp at Flossenburg. And 75 years ago yesterday, if you saw the news, 75 years ago yesterday, the most ambitious plot to assassinate Hitler was carried out unsuccessfully by a network of German officers, diplomats, and citizens who were intent on destroying Nazism from the inside out. It was the most ambitious plot. In fact, it almost worked. Except for a few twists of fate, it was going to work. There was a man, uh, I'm going to get his name right here. His name was, um, oh no, did I write it down? Oh, I did not. That's not good. Karl von Stauffenberg. His name was Karl von Stauffenberg, and he was a colonel in the Nazi army. And he, along with others, had had decided that uh, the Nazis had gone too far, this needed to stop, the war needed to end as quickly as possible. And so he carried into a bunker where Hitler was holding a conference, a bomb. It was in a briefcase. And the intended was he was going to put the briefcase next to Hitler, he was going to leave the room, and he was going to detonate the bomb. And what happened was he went into the bunker, he put the briefcase next to Hitler, he left the room. And after he left the room, the briefcase was moved underneath the table. And then somebody opened a window. And when the bomb went off, the concussive force of the bomb was deadened by the huge table. And because of the open window, there wasn't the reverberating effect that you would need uh, in a closed, confined space like that. Four people died. Hitler escaped. And in the weeks and months that followed, and actually it was only two hours later that Karl von Stauffenberg was found and executed on the spot. And then over the next weeks and months, uh, as this network was discovered and as they discovered uh, names through torture and through diaries, there was a mass, uh, thousands of people uh, being taken into prison and hundreds being uh, simply executed. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, <clears throat> sitting in his concentration camp in Flossenburg, was a part of this network. Uh, he, because he had some government connections, uh, he had gotten counterfeit visas and papers for members of this network that were set up to, uh, to assassinate Hitler. And when they discovered that, it was only the next day, uh, so this was the 9th of April, 1945, just two weeks before the United States would liberate Flossenburg, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in the concentration camp. What he was doing was illegal. The work that he was participating in was illegal. And, of course, today we look back on that now. We look back on that. It was called the 20, 20th of July plot. That's what it was. Yesterday was, was the attempt, and Angela Merkel uh, had some words about it and whatnot. You can find that online. But uh, what he was doing was illegal. And we can look back on it from today and say, of course, uh, God sanctioned these actions. Of course, God wants Bonhoeffer to help Jews escape the country. Uh, of course, God wants... Uh, these things to happen. God wants people to stand up um, 
to stop injustice from happening. But I want to remind you something. The vast majority of Christians living in Germany did not think it was right to do this. They didn't think it was right. They thought it was wrong. The vast majority of Christians living in Germany thought it was wrong. So why did Bonhoeffer see otherwise? Why, did, why was it that Bonhoeffer felt like he needed to violate the laws of his country in order to, to stop what was happening with the Jews and with Hitler? It's because he had made the concerns of the Jews common to himself. He had made their concerns his concerns. He wrote this. He said, Jesus gives his support to those who suffer for the sake of a just cause, even if this cause is not precisely confession of his name. He takes them under his protection. He accepts responsibility for them, and he lays a claim for them. Jesus lays a claim to those who suffer unjustly, even those who do not suffer for his name, because Jesus has made them common with himself. Living our life through Christ means making the concerns of others common to us, because they are common to Christ. Let's look back at verse 44. All who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, to any who had need. Now, this is a really interesting passage, and I think that uh, there's a lot of words that could be said about this passage either way. One of the questions I want to kind of have for you, and one of the things I want to give you as a gift for your own Bible study, is that there's a difference in Scripture between between things that are prescriptive, say prescriptive, and things that are descriptive, say descriptive. Prescriptive things are things that are God is communicating to you, this is how you should be living your life. Descriptive things are things that God is revealing to you, this is how something happened. This is how something occurred. So the question here is, is this a descriptive verse or a prescriptive verse? Because if it's a prescriptive verse, we are completely failing at verse 45 that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Who wants to be the first to sell all of their possessions and goods and turn it over to the church so that we can distribute it? Other than Josh, the man with a pure heart. <laughs> but I believe that this is not a prescriptive verse. This is a descriptive verse. It's meant to show us something. It's painting a picture for us. What it's describing is voluntary socialism in a sense. It's describing the Anabaptist movement of the Reformation. It's describing hippie communes, right? Where people would literally sell everything that they own in order that it might go into a a general pot. And then that general pot gets distributed as, as needs arise. It's not necessarily a prescriptive verse, but it is descriptive. So just by the way, when we're talking about socialism, I'm not a socialist. But that looks a lot like socialism. Just keep that in mind next time that you talk about socialism. Just voluntary, voluntary socialism. But what does the portrait tell us? What does the description tell us? It describes a community 
of mutual concern which operated out of a sense of abundance. The second reason why, we make it, why it's so difficult to make other people's concerns common with ours, the first one is because we want to hold out so we can take everything for ourselves. And the second reason why it's so hard to hold other people's concerns in common with us is out of fear. I'm afraid that there's not going to be enough to go around. We operate not out of an economy of abundance, but out of an economy of scarcity. I don't have enough. There isn't enough. And if I allow this person's concerns to become my concerns, what will there be left for me and mine and my family? I want to turn to another passage. This is in Luke. It's in Luke 11. It says that a man, I'm going to just kind of summarize it for you. I'm not going to read it uh, all the way, but um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, Oh, goodness. I got the wrong passage written down. Thank you, Jesus. Bring it to me, Lord. I'll just have to tell it to you. Uh, There's a man... There was a man who came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, tell my brother to split his inheritance with me. We got an inheritance from my father, but he didn't, he didn't share it with me. Tell him to share it with me. And Jesus tells him a parable. He says, you know, there was a guy and he had a lot of farms. He was a big farmer. He had a, and, and one year he had a great abundance of crops that came in. Right? So he harvested all this crop and he put it in his barn. And then he realized Man, you know what I'm going to need to do? I'm going to need to tear down my barn and build a bigger barn. I have so much coming in right now. I, I, need, to, I need to store this stuff, right? And Jesus says, that night God came to him and said, You fool. Don't you know that tonight your life will be demanded from you? And then what will happen to the abundance that you have? We operate our lives out of an economy of scarcity. I need to keep this all for myself. I, I, can't, I can't share this with other people. And when we have an abundance, we don't think to ourselves, how can I help other people? We think to ourselves, I need a bigger barn to store all of these things away. And Jesus says, you fool. You fool. Are you paying the people who built your barn? Are you sharing with your neighbor who has nothing? Are you distributing to those hit by drought, those who don't experience an abundance? Or are you operating out of an economy of scarcity where every single penny I bring in has to remain mine because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if it doesn't? I'm more afraid of the future than I am trusting of God. So that's what I believe it's describing. Martin Luther King Jr. said, fear is mastered through faith. A common source of fear is an awareness of deficit deficit resources and of a consequent inadequacy for life. All too many people attempt to face the tensions of life with inadequate spiritual resources. You may have material resources, but do you have spiritual resources? What happens when your drought happens? Do you have spiritual resources to trust God? So they would sell their possessions and goods 
and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And the last thing I want to say about this is that there is a temptation within the church, within all churches, everywhere, for those who are mature in their faith, for those who are leaders, for those who who understand things of Scripture, to, to advance their spiritual life and leave those who are struggling behind. There's a temptation that I feel like it's like the monk who goes out in the desert. I, I, need, I need to be alone with God. I need to be with God. So you go out in the desert and you pray and you get, you get so close to God. Meanwhile, all the people that you've left are struggling. Watch out, brothers and sisters. I know that there's people among us here who are more mature, who, who have been with Christ longer, who know their Bibles, who are working on that. Watch out for your brothers and sisters around you who are struggling. Hold things in common with them. Don't leave people behind. Come alongside of them. And for those of you who are struggling, don't think to yourself, I'm not worth it. I, I, I don't have, uh, it's something that I can't uh, demand of other people. It's not a demand when you do it out of love. And we're a family together. Make your needs known to one another. And by the way, that doesn't mean I need to be the one there, right? Because there are healthy and mature Christians here among us sitting here. Watch your brothers and sisters grow with them. Okay, that's the last thing I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's look at verse 46. Oh my goodness. Let's look at verse 46. Thank you, Luke 12. I was off by a chapter. Day by day, it says, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. This is the first part. That's the first part of verse 47. I just want to say they rejoiced together. They enjoyed spending time together. Praise God that they just loved being together. We're a church that also loves being together. Next week we've got a potluck. Please come and just eat with us. Some people say I feel awkward because I didn't bring anything. Just eat with us, please. If there's not enough to go around, guess what? Everybody will eat just a little bit less. Okay? And that's okay. That's all right. And if there's enough to go around, we'll have an abundance. And that's okay too. Okay, we trust God will take care of the hunger. Just hang out with us. We love being with each other and rejoice being with one another. Family takes care of one another. Family likes being with one another. And I want to give a shout out to a few uh, people that have really exemplified what it means to work together. And, and the first one is actually the men's group. Can I have, who was it, John and Chuck and Tristan and uh, Dave, uh, who else was there with us? Matthew, and who? Jeff, can, you, can we just give them a round of applause? They've stained this whole area out here. Thanks, guys. We stained, we stained all of this upper uh, thing here. There, I'm noticing now that it's dried, it was so hard to tell in the moment what was painted and what wasn't. So there's a couple spots that we missed. We'll have to go back and get them. But it took a long time, and, and God bless you guys. Thank you so much for that. And the other shout I want to give is to Steve. Uh, Steve, did anybody notice our benches out front? That was Steve. Can we give him a round of applause? Steve comes up to me, and he goes, hey, I would like to take those benches and refinish them. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, do that. 
Uh, they, uh, they were rickety. It was like every time I sat on it, I thought to myself, this could be the last time, you know? <laughs> and, and he took them and repainted them and refinished them. They look, they look awesome. And he tightened it all so it's all, you know, nice and tight. Do yourself a favor and sit after church. Go sit on them. Uh, and give Steve a high five because it was just thank you for that. Thank you, Steve, for doing that. Yeah. That, that is uh, the devotion and love that we see for one another is, is shown by how we treat our common space. All right? That's common space. That's all of our benches. That's all of our siding or, or whatever. That's all of our railing. That's all of our space. This is a place we have in common with one another. So I praise God for it. Let's go to the last part here. Verse 47b. This is the one that always sticks out um, when you're preaching this sermon. And I, I have spent the majority of my time not talking about it. And the reason is, gonna, is clear, I think. But it says, And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Pastors love to preach on that verse because, because I think that it's maybe because we can't imagine what sort of scenario that would be if like on Monday... 10 people came into the church and were like, I, I don't even know you guys, but I want to be a part of us. And then on Tuesday, like 10 more people came, and on Wednesday, and like by Sunday, you had like 70 more people in church. I, I think that it's like, that so blows a pastor's mind that we like really excited about this. Yes, day by day, Lord, every day add more people to the, uh, to the number that are being saved. But we immediately go to this verse and don't realize the and. And day by day, Right? What is an and? An and is a conjunction. Do you know your grammar? An and is a conjunction, and it links two ideas to one another, right? This and this, right? First this, and then this. They practiced mutual concern. They shared things in common with one another. They were concerned about each other. They broke bread together and rejoiced being together. And the Lord added daily to their number, those who are being saved. I would submit to you that I don't think you can have this. You can't have this part of the verse without the rest of it together with it. Because I, I know that God is the one who gives an increase. The Lord is the one who gives an increase. But I would suspect, I'm not God, but I would suspect that if God was really interested in people uh, maturing in their faith and being a part of a loving family, he would probably wait until there were enough people together that would say, I, I want to share life in common with each other before he says, okay, I want to send more people to that group. That's the group that they're going to be healthy and that's the group they're going to grow in. That's the group that's going to be the best thing for their life. So if we're not willing to do the first part and all we want is the second part, there's something out of whack in the way that we understand church and what church is all about. God gives the increase. We must prepare our hearts. They were a family together. That's what we're getting at. They were a family together. Living life through Christ meant being a family with one another, holding things in common with each other. And um, the last thing I kind of want to just say before we end is there's a couple families in our community that have really suffered in this last season. And one of them is the England's. Uh, if you don't know, the Otis Cafe burned down on uh, July 4th, wasn't it? And uh, I, I was impressed by the way that the community came around them and, and supported them. Um, and so we got to keep them in our prayers. And the other is the Bartlett's. Um, without going into a lot of detail, uh, if you don't know about what happened with the Bartlett's last weekend, 
they lost their son, um, uh, Emmett, who was, I think, 15 months. And uh, it was very tragic, and it was very hard. Um, and uh, I was amazed at how a community mobilized to come around them and to share life in common and share that, that tragedy in common with them. They, were, they attended here for a while, for a long time. They were youth pastors here, I think, actually, back in the day. And now they go to Faith Baptist. But I have uh, on the back in the foyer, there's a, a piece of paper that said, uh, says something like, will you consider helping the Bartlett's or something? And I, I listed, uh, I think, four or five different ways that if you feel so led, you can help in um, that situation. There's a meal train being set up. The number for that is in the back. Um, there's a GoFundMe account set up to cover uh, medical expenses and funeral costs. Um, that is posted there, how to get to that. Um, but the number one thing, when I was talking to Brian, Brian's their pastor over at Faith, and I just said, you know, what can we be doing? And the number one thing he said was just be praying for them. Be praying for their family. It's not, it's something that is an ongoing thing. It's something that weeks and months and years down the line, this is going to retain with them. There's actually people here in this church that have lost children, and so you understand a bit of what... Um, what that means in terms of the longevity of the grief and sorrow. So I would just also encourage, if you know the Bartlett's, um, this is how these things kind of happen. You get a huge swell of support, which is very encouraging, in the first few weeks, first month maybe. And then as time goes on, uh, you know, things, time just moves forward. And other people move on with their lives, but you don't really move on from that experience. So I would just encourage, if you know the Bartlett's, just in your phone even, put a reminder in your phone for two months from now or maybe six months from now to give them a call, ask how they're doing, see if there's anything you can do to help because what's going to happen is we're going to get this huge groundswell of support and then it's going to kind of taper off. And we just want to make sure that they know we're with them for the long haul. We're not just here for the, for the initial time, but we, we're dedicated to them as a family. Um, and, and to their place in our community. So if you would do that, that would be a tremendous support. And there's other ways to support them. I think there's also a spaghetti feed going on, and the information for that is in the back as well on that piece of paper. Okay? So we're going to spend some time praying, and, um, and as we pray, we're going to invite uh, the, worship, or the prayer team to come on up. Can you can I invite the prayer team, uh, whoever was this week? Uh, Debbie, and thank you, Jim. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, they do. So you can find that on GoFundMe as well. Uh, Mom and Gordon, you guys can come up and pray for us too. And um, go ahead, John, come on up. And, and uh, so we're going to have some, some people up here to pray. Yeah, thank you guys, thank you. And what I want to do is I want to spend some time in prayer. I'm going I'm to pray for the Bartlett's and I'm going to pray for the England's and um, us as a group. And then if you feel like you need some prayer right now, if you, need, if you need somebody to agree with you in prayer over something that's happened in your life or that you, uh, an obstacle you're coming up against, we really truly believe in the power of prayer here. We believe that God changes lives and transforms lives through prayer. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to have some time. Come up to pray. If, if that's not you, uh, if you would just if you could talk quietly or if you could even make your way back to the foyer for some cookies and coffee and just leave this space up here for people who need to pray. So would you pray with me right now? Lord, we just come before you.
Father, we come before you as a body, Lord, as a community of people. And right now, I pray, God, I lift up the Englands to you. Jesus, and, and, a, and a source of income, of revenue for this family and also for the people who are working there, which is now gone. And Lord, I, I pray for those people who are thinking about what happens now. How, how do I live my life? How do I go on from this? Lord, that you would be a provider here. God, I thank you for the members of our community that have stepped up, that have said, I can hire you for a period of time or I can help out with rebuilding. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we have made their their hardship common with us. And I pray that that would continue. And Lord, I also lift up the Bartlett's to you, God. Lift up Tom, especially. And I just pray you'd be with his spirit, Lord. I know that, I know, Jesus, that in you, all things are held common with all people. And I know that you, Lord, are holding Tom in common with you. And Jesus, I was reminded this week that when we suffer, Lord, we are sharing in your suffering. You suffer with us. And I pray, God, that Tom and Veronica would feel the constant presence of you, Jesus, in their lives at this time. God, I ask that you would come and be a comforter. Lord, that you would be this one that sustains them. God, all of us, uh, we love to comfort. We love to be there. But we have other things, and a year from now, five years from now, when we are beyond this, they are still going to be with this. And Jesus, you're going to be with them. So we pray for your constant, persistent presence in their lives, for grace on their household, Lord. I pray for nights of sleep, and I pray for rest, and I pray that you would take away all feelings of guilt. Lord, that you would remove all, uh, all of the attacks that the enemy wants to come in and capitalize on a terrible situation. Lord, would you protect their family, protect their minds and their spirits, Lord. Jesus, we know that you hold things in common with us. And so right now, if there's those of us among us today who want, who need, that you would hold us in common, would you move on our hearts, Lord? I want to give you an opportunity now. If you need prayer, come forward. Come forward for